It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how shockingly affordable a new Dacia is in the new year. Welcome to the Late Lunch Show on LMFM Radio. Oh, thanks to my lovely assistant, Ava Flynn, who's going to help me all week welcome you to the show, especially this Christmas week. Isn't she fantastic? Yes, you are welcome to Christmas week on Late Lunch. We will be here at your next Monday, just in case you think we're finishing Friday, our last show of the year is this day week. But we have a lovely week in store for you, I promise you. The puddings are landing, aren't they, Louise? They're coming into us left, right and centre as we speak. We're swamped with them oh, in the come office, on, keep, aren't we? Keep the smell them coming. Oh, the smell of the puddings in the office. They really have started to arrive. So plenty of time still. Best Christmas pudding in the northeast will be named on Friday on late lunch by our women with opinions. We want all the puddings in by close of business, please, on Wednesday if you can. Drop them into us here. We're open from morning till uh, about four o'clock in the afternoon. You can drop them in at any stage and we love to see those puddings coming to us. Big hamper for the winner and the title, it's the prestige, I have to tell you, is the big thing as well. Your Christmas cuties, they've been coming as well. We're going to hear from them a little bit later on in the show. But first up, I have to tell you, I got a lovely letter last week with a Christmas card and a beautiful, beautiful calendar for 2020. And the lady who sent it to me is on the line. Geraldine McCullough, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. Hi. Ah, uh, listen, may I say on the airwaves, thank you so much. Ah, oh, you're very welcome. I, hear, I heard you say about, oh, I don't know, maybe two or three months ago, two months ago, anyhow, that you like little calendars with quotes on them. And so do I. And I end up getting one every year, um sent in the post to me for nothing from I think it's the Divine Ward Missionaries I'm not religious now or anything but it just comes in the post and I normally send them a, you know, a few pounds or a few 
quid after that, yeah. and they send me another one back. So I ordered an extra one for you this year <laughs> because you had said that. Because I love the little quotes. <laughs> ah, you are so kind, and it is. I have the little calendar here beside me. It's from the Divine Word yeah. Missionaries in Roscommon. I, I see their address on it, and for each month of the year, right, starting in January 2020, there's a lovely little saying to start the month. And Geraldine, do you know what I'm going to do? No. Each first day of the month that late lunch is on, which will be the 2nd of January for January, I'm going to open the show and read the quote from your calendar. Oh, nice one. For the next nice year. One. Is that they're okay? Nice quotes. They're, they're oh, unusual. So they yeah. are. They're very, very they unusual. Are. And they're very kind. They just send that out in the post. Yes. And then I, I sort of order maybe one or two for my desk at work, uh, you know, and as yeah. I say, for you, that one sort of thing. And it, they, you know, they send it for nothing. So I just send them back a few pounds, sort of thing. Uh, well, and it is lovely. It's a nice. It's a, it's a longer quote than the usual one you see on the desk, sort of thing. Well, do you know something? I'm going to say to you. Um, the calendar that you've sent me will take pride of place. And and beside it, you know, you know, I get my Kylie Minogue calendar every year. Well, my fingers are crossed. It usually comes <laughs> in the post. I've had Kylie every year, so I'm, I'm hanging on with hope for 2020 that she will arrive from some mysterious place. But I, I hope she will. But well, look at... The it. calendar probably will. I do. She will. <laughs> well, if, if she ever did, heart attack number she two would not. be happening here and now with yours truly, Dream I have on. to say. <laughs> Dream on is right. Anyway, let me ask you this while you're on to me. You're obviously a very bubbly, positive woman. And, and, and again, thank you for the calendar and the lovely card. Think back to, to your childhood. Have you any particular memories of a Christmas of yesteryear when you were growing up, Geraldine? Mm. Oh, I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. They get so sick of me at home, so they do. There's my decorations. They're everywhere. I love Christmas. I always have done. I live on a dairy farm, so... I suppose realistically, Jerry, um, living on a farm and probably a dairy farm, it's the very, it's very, very, very much the same as any other day. But in a nice way, everybody gets up early in the morning because the cows still have to be milked. And as a child, that was the same thing. But funny enough, maybe because it's a dairy farm and we supply milk and always have done. Therefore, um, at this time of the year, there are cows calving. So memories, I suppose, always involve little baby cows, maybe, and you ran out to see if there are any cows born today, Christmas Day, and if there were, if there were, they ended up being called Holly. The dogs called Holly too, by the way, but <laughs> they were called Holly if they were a girl, and you know we, they're all pets, sort of thing. We made, you know, everyone had their own pet. We thought they belonged to us. Yes. <laughs> they really didn't like, but you know, and. Everybody ran out to feed them. We had our toys, probably not many, maybe, but we had the toys. And everybody enjoyed them for an hour or two. But then everybody had their own little jobs to do. So I have um, two brothers and one sister. So everybody had their own things to do, sort of thing, to help around the farm. And it's still the same today. Um, And that is memories of Christmas for us on on a farm, sort of thing. It's a really family time, happy time. Everybody has to get up, do their bit. Dinner, unlike, I suppose, other places, dinner is usually around one o'clock because mm. milking has to take place at about four. It's going to get dark. The animals have to be fed. And the one thing is that on Christmas Day, they usually get more because everybody's so good to them. They have to get more to eat, just like everybody else. <laughs> but then you have the situation where 
an animal's not well and you may have to call a vet on Christmas Day. I do have that recollection also. Yes. So, you know, it's very much the same as any other day, but in a very nice way. Mm. Nobody's complaining about that. It's a happy family. We're very, very close. And I suppose because we all do help and still do, everybody's yes. still involved sort of thing. So memories of Christmas, the toy sort of took second place. Because right. the animals took first, because you usually had a baby calf or something. Yes. It's funny, I just heard somebody ask yesterday, um, is there any cows calving? And they were making a list. And there's, you know, they're due to have baby baby calves now um, within the next week or so. Yeah. So, life goes on and new babies are born. Mm. And that is Christmas as it always was on a farm for us. Well, you know, I, I, I can empathise with what you're saying there because I was fortunate enough I lived on the outskirts of Drogheda at the time on the north side which now is right in the heart of the town of course with all the development but across the road from us uh, a man called Packy Phillips and he only passed away I think in the last year had a farm and I spent my childhood over there on the farm and I can relate to what you say and can I tell you something myself and Louise went to Causey Farm last week uh, for the Christmas experience and and, and they like yourselves you know they have a real working farm with animals there and when I walked out. And you know when I just took in that breath of air and I just felt I was back on that farm many years ago when I was yeah. a child. There's nothing like it. Ah, uh, nothing. Nothing, no. nothing, nothing, no. nothing. And you know what you say there, people may not realise a working farm cows are milked in the morning and the evening and yep, that happens 365 days of the year they don't take Christmas Day off. No, and really and truly the majority of farmers, certainly my family, they are there 365 days Uh you know, there's no holidays away to Spain or something like that. Now, that is by choice. Yes. But it's also, you know, for care of animals and all the rest of it sort of thing that they're taking care of 365 days a week and they all have names and they're they're all three. I heard my nephew is 22 and he went to agricultural college and he's now home on the farm. And they've just put in a new uh, dairy plant but I heard him say there was one really, really, really wet day and they were all drowned and wet outside walking, but happy. And he came in and he said something, Jer, isn't it great to be doing something you love? I love every second of every day that I walk. Mm. Yeah. I don't think there's anything beats No, nothing at all. And I, no. <laughs> I have to say, I understand what he's saying. But you know yeah. something, uh, and the farming life is a very special life and it's an integral part of what this country is and always is, will actually. be. Of yeah. course, there's tweaking to be done. We understand that and that yeah. is happening. And many in the farming community are making those moves as well. But look, it's a lovely life. It's a lovely uh, memory from your childhood to have it growing is, yeah. up as well. Yeah, it that really is. is. That, is yeah. that is my memory. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, lovely, lovely and quite different, yeah. I'm sure, to many others. Anyway, look, I'm going to let you go. Thanks for the card. Thanks for the calendar. Remember, each first day on Late Lunch in 2020, I will be reading I your verse at the start of the show. Happy Christmas and all the best for 2020, and Geraldine. Very same to you and to everybody in LMFM who, uh, you know, provide a great service and... Certainly, we always listen to it. And you're, you know, the station's so good to community because I'm involved at Stevenstown Pond and everybody's so good to community. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. God bless you, Geraldine. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The wonderful Geraldine McCullough there. Do you know, you know, Louise, how much that little calendar means to me? You do? Oh, your face lit up when you opened it. You couldn't believe it. I tell you, it's just, it's the simplest little thing and it Mm. sums up Christmas. It doesn't have to be a hundred dollars or a million dollars. The little things, you know, those little touches in life. Yeah. And you even read out the first one on it. 
Fantastic. It's, it's fantastic, so it is. Have you any Christmas memories like Geraldine McCullough? We'd love to hear from you. Have you a memory of Christmas, your first toy, a special toy, something that happened in your home, no matter what generation you're from? If you have, let us know. Give us a shout on LMFM. You can call in 1850-715-958 with a Christmas memory or you can get in touch with us by text or WhatsApp 86 658 Are the cuties ready and waiting? I hope so. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Our Christmas cuties coming next on Late Lunch. Shoe City, just outside Castle Blaney, have given us, listen to this, a €250 voucher to give to our cutest Christmas cutie. What am I talking about? We're looking for children, your children, to sing for us. Say a verse, a rhyme, tell a wee story. We want you to take a video of it and send it into us on LMFM. You can send it to late lunch at lmfm.ie or WhatsApp it to 086 658. They've been coming in, haven't they, Louise? We have some cracking cuties. They're lovely. Oh, they're, they're all lovely. lovely. They're, oh, I want to say to you, they're all lovely, but we're going to pick one by the end of the week and they'll win that lovely prize. €250 Euro shoe voucher for Shoe City in Castle Blaney. Who have you for us to kick off the week, Louise? Kicking off, we have, this works now, Oshin Makanini, and he's five and he's an RD. Let's hear Oshin. There's a big star in the sky Can you see it there in the sky? Can you see it shining, shining above? Big star, big star. There's a big star in the sky. Can you see it there in the sky? Can you see it shining, shining above? Big star, big star. There's a big star in the sky. Can you see it there in the sky? Can you see it blinking, blinking above? Big star, big star. Oshin, you're absolutely brilliant, Aloise. Isn't he? Just Five and it's years a song I've never ever heard before never, in my life. Never ever, and he sings it absolutely beautifully. What's the second name again? Oshin uh, Mac, uh, Makanini five from, from five from RD in County Loud. Oshin, you're brilliant, and you are in with a chance of being named the cutest Christmas cutie at 2019 on LMFM's late lunch. We have more. We're going to let you hear more uh, a little bit later on on the show. But he's the first in today, and he's in the uh, in the mix for the prize as well. Keep them coming to us and we'll let you hear more through the show this afternoon. Antoinette's been on to say, Jerry, what a great show on Friday night. Yet Antoinette's talking about the St. Peter's Male Voice Choir annual Christmas concert at the Barbican. She says, wasn't Celine Byrne absolutely fantastic? And the boys from the choir who did the individual singing, they were Antoinette. It was a classic night. Now, Louise, I was telling you a little earlier on, the Christmas concert each year, the boys sing all the classic Christmas stuff and Celine was just oh, out of this world and you couldn't get a ticket. They were like chicken's teeth. Anyway, they do a few, you know, <laughs> what would you call them, Louise? Randomers. Alternatives. Yeah, yeah. A few random songs that are maybe not Christmas and they really do add to the mix of the occasion. Well, on Friday night, I can tell you this. The boys from St. Peter's Male Voice Choir, they have a massive, unlikely Christmas hit on their hands. Have you got it there? Uh, yeah. Do you want me to play it now? I'll give it a spin. Come and look out through the window That big old moon is shining down 
Remember back when love first found us We'd go slipping out of town And we'd love beneath the moonlight On a blanket on the ground I'll get the blanket from the bedroom And we'll go walking once again the wonderful Billy Joe Spears with the original version of Blanket on the Ground. I, I have to say, I, I couldn't believe it on Friday night at the concert. The boys played it and <laughs> they played it again. I, I, I Look, I have to thank Edward Holly because I put him on a spot at the end. They did it a second time for the audience and I'm telling you, the theatre, it went absolutely crazy. I couldn't believe it, Louise. I honestly couldn't believe it. Everybody and you know, loves that song, though. Oh, they they it, it brought, mightn't admit it, but it, they do. They, they do, and it brought it back to me. Did I ever think I'd be playing it on late lunch? My late aunt, Anna, Anna Riley, that was her song, our party piece. You know what I mean? When she was out for a night, she'd be called up and she'd sing that. And I can remember it as well. And it's funny the way things come round in the world, mm. you know, from another time to now. But I'll tell you this. 
St. Peter's Male Voice Choir have a massive hit on their hands. They'll all be singing it out on a Christmas party this weekend, will they, Jerry? An unlikely hit on their hands, I have to say. Memorable, <laughs> memorable indeed. Now, Christmas cooties, yes, they're coming in and keep them coming to us. But we, after having a late, a late arrival, who, this, you know this little man, uh, Louise Walsh? I do. His name is Cormac and he's three and a half and he just happens to be my son. Let's hear him. Dashing through the snow on a one-horse open sleigh, all the fields we go, laughing all the way, ha ha ha, bells on book to ring, bells on book ring, or a farm against the rock on the open sleigh tonight, oh jingle bells. three and a half years of age. What's he saying there in the middle I of that? I love it. He's changed the words brilliantly. The what? IFA would love it. It's, um, oh, the farmer gets to ride on the <laughs> one horse open sleigh. There you are. And you never knew it. A IFA farmer. Christmas song. <laughs> Isn't he just gorgeous? I just love these Christmas cuties. I really do. Now, unfortunately, I'd love to give Cormac the 250 euro voucher for Shoe City and his mammy. <laughs> But we're disbarred or anybody connected with us. We want to make that plain and clear. But the other thing to say is, if you send us your videos, we'll be using them. We'll be playing them on the air and we'll be putting them up on social media. And those are the terms and conditions of this competition. If you you do send them to us, understand that's what you're agreeing to. Uh, A set of house keys with a young boy's picture with his teddy bear has just been found beside the Bolton Square bottle bank in Drogheda. And the owner can give us a call here on uh, 1850 7159. A teddy bear, right? A young boy's picture with his teddy bear on a set of house keys, Bolton Square. If you lost them, give us a shout and we'll put you in touch with Ken who has them. Thanks a million. Late lunch, LMFM Radio, heading to a break. What's coming up after two? Where's my running? Oh yeah, we'll go to Sydney (laughs) in Australia after two. Just reminding you again that we are celebrating the festive season here in LMFM with our brand new online station, LMFM Christmas. So for all your favourite Christmas hits, simply go to lmfm.ie and click in onto LMFM Christmas. Or remember, this is easier, that's online if you're on a computer or whatever, or even on your smartphone. But the best thing to do is actually to download the LMFM smartphone app. Get it onto your phone now, folks. Then you can bring us with you wherever you go in the world. LMFM Christmas is playing non-stop Christmas hits right now. Go to it and keep it safe on your smartphone. Just one other thing to mention that's coming up uh, midweek. That's Wednesday, December the 18th, St. Vincent de Paul Theatre, Kells. Uh, a big fundraiser for musical students supported by Kells Music and Dramatic Society. The tickets are available from ticketshop.ie and it will be a night to remember. Musical theatre, cabaret, variety and dance. Get along there to Kells midweek for a very special Christmas performance. Now, you might recall last week on Late Launch, 
had a lovely chat with Odie Thornton uh, from North Loud. He's living in Sydney where, you know, the fires are still raging. And we put out a call last week. We had loads of people uh, contacting us from the uh, Australia, Sydney area in particular, uh, to tell us about the situation there. Another Sydney resident is Kate Barn, And I spoke to Kate and began by asking her to tell me why and when she emigrated. Yeah, absolutely. So I was working in Dublin for a couple of years in the midst of the recession and I just couldn't do the long hours anymore without getting like recognised with pay increases and I just needed to get out. So I kind of packed up my stuff and I went on a what I thought was going to be a, a round-the-world trip for one year. Um, I got very good advice before I left Dublin to see if I could go get sponsorship which I did, and yeah, nine years later, I'm a citizen, so I'm very grateful for that advice to stay. You have a wee baby as well, a seven-month-old. Boy or girl? Yes. Little girl, Searsha. Yeah, so she is an Aussie citizen herself and an Irish um, citizen as well. So, yep, I'm here married to an Englishman that I met over in Sydney. Ah, so we have, uh, when Brexit is full flight in this neck of the woods, we have a real coming yeah. together of Britain and Ireland, which is great to hear. I know. What do you do? Yeah. What's your, what's your uh, calling in life? So I work in advertising in Sydney. I'm currently on maternity leave, but I'm specialised in digital. And I'm actually, I secured a job with Tourism Ireland on my return in January. So in their marketing team. So you are coming home, coming home for good with that Englishman and that lovely baby in tow? We are. I don't know how I managed to negotiate that one, but yes, we're coming home to Ireland, to Drogheda actually, in fact. <laughs> I'm just telling them now, Bourne is a famous name in the northeast and is particularly on the banks of the Boyne. Your late dad, Tommy yeah. Bourne, sure everybody knew him. Yeah, he was an absolute, just incredible man. Yeah, it was just a very, very tough year. Um, but we brought the baby home over the summer and he met her and we had her christened with my dad. So it was very special indeed. But it also cemented the decision to move home permanently. Oh, that's so touching. I, oh, my word, you'll have us all in tears here. And of course, Tommy did pass away and uh, massive sadness and an outpouring of grief in the aftermath of his death. But Back to you for a moment mm-hmm. and, and, and the situation there in Sydney, which is why we're really talking today. Um, you're very sad, I believe, with what's happening. It's really bad. It's, it, I was talking to Odie, Odie Thornton about this and he told me he'd never seen anything like it. He's from North Louth. Yeah, so it's I've never ever seen anything like this or smelt anything like this in the atmosphere. Like in the past nine years that I've been here, yes, we've heard of the bushfires in, you know, northern parts of New South Wales and up in Queensland. But to have them so close to Sydney, I don't believe it's ever happened in my lifetime here in Australia since 2010. Um, Like, I think in October is when the fire started, which is incredibly early for the season. It's normally Jan-Feb. I remember one night I woke up at two in the morning and I honestly thought I left my cooker on that something was burning. We'd leave our windows open just to get the fresh air because we don't have air conditioning. And um, it's just the smell. It's like, what is happening? Like, what is on fire? And these fires are probably burning like four hours away. So it's it's been like that on and off for the last two and a half months. And really yesterday was just like the worst day it's been. Like, just, I was constantly coughing. I had to stay indoors. 
I took my baby out for like an hour just to try and get a bit of what I thought might be fresh air to was good, but it was just such a mistake. Had to close all the windows. Like, you're just kind of just choked with the smoke. And um, over the last couple of weeks, we've just noticed that, like, every afternoon, the atmosphere is just orange. Like, you look outside and it's just orange. And the sun is this weird, like, pink color. It's like, it's just really literally on fire. Like, it's just, it's just crazy, the colors that you're seeing. It's just not normal. I've never seen anything like this before. Like, I think over 700 homes have been lost. It's really, really sad. The wildlife, like koalas, have lost all their natural habitats. Um, but unfortunately, the government isn't really, they're not really acting on it. Like, they're not paying any of the volunteer firefighters who are leaving their jobs and leaving their families to go and help with the um, full-time firefighters. They're not giving any extra money um, for that. So it's just, it's really, really sad because just Sydney, I, we have barely seen the sunshine all summer. And like, I know that might sound a bit like, oh, we see, we have sunshine all the time, but we have not seen the sunshine through. And then on top of that, there's no rain, which as an Irish person is always great because we have so much rain in Ireland, but literally there's no rain. So these fires are burning out of control and they need rain to help ease us, but there's nothing coming. Don't mention rain uh, on this side. I have to tell you, you're probably well aware of what we've been going through at the opposite side of the scale to yourselves there. But here's the thing. Mm. You mentioned the government there. You're frustrated as well. Explain to me about this backburning that didn't happen. So essentially what people are... So every winter, we always have maybe a couple of weeks where we smell like the the bushfires but it's all control burning so essentially what the government do every year is a process called back burning and it's control fires and they do like i'm not a fire expert so i hopefully i'm explaining this right essentially control fires where they burn like in a semi-circle so that when a bushfire does occur what was already back burned the previous winter is no longer adding fuel to the fire so it, it means that the fires can't get out of control but essentially, some residents this year complained about the air quality over in the winter and they stopped some of the backburning. So on one of the programs during the week, essentially like this is one of the first years that the amount of backburning that normally would occur didn't occur this year. And now we're seeing unprecedented out-of-control fires, and which they can no longer control. Like, And so people are blaming the backburning, but it's also the climate change has to come into us because... We have seen the hottest summers, really warm winters, and no rain. So, like, the two of them together is just causing this absolute um, disaster. Mm, it, yeah. uh, it, it adds up when, it, when you paint the picture, and you've explained it very well uh, about the backburning. I know what it does. It creates that barrier, and then it, the fires happen, and it can't yeah. hop that barrier, and people are safe. Is it true that you mentioned your, your, your wee girl there, you were out for a walk, it's that bad that there's ash on the pram when you yeah. come home? Yeah. Like, everywhere is super dusty. I witnessed ash just falling on top of a pram. So I'm trying to cover it in the muslin, you know, but what's all the, t- the same time trying to get her fresh air as well. But, um, yeah, there was ash falling last week. Yesterday, it's just everywhere is just incredibly dusty. And, like, it's just really, the, yeah, it's really dirty at the minute. And it's just it's just a really sad kind of, I'm here because you're just not witnessing beauty of Sydney, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of ash. And um, my sister-in-law, her brother, is in Sydney as well. He left his trainers on the balcony, and they're just full of ash the next day, overnight. Sounds like so, Armageddon. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know what? Yesterday, it was just horrible. You couldn't see, like, the visibility was really, really poor. Um, my husband takes a train over the bridge, the Harbour Bridge to North Sydney, where he works. Um, and normally, you have a full view of the beautiful Opera House and the Rice. Like, it's only a few metres away. There's no visibility. There's no visibility of adding the boats in the harbour. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really, really poor at the moment. And there is a live cam of um, from the Four Seasons directly onto the bridge. And it's just, like, it's just grey. It's just smog. My, and we give out at times about a drop of rain and we're here with you uh, living through there. I'm sure, like, you're looking forward now at this stage to coming home, but I take it that the nine years you've been there, you met your husband, you have a new baby, you've found work, you've become a citizen. You've had great times there. Oh, like, Australia is just an unbelievable country and I'm forever grateful that I got to experience it. Like, it's just, yeah, it's, it's I've made incredible friends. I've had a great job that I've really loved and I've met and I've just got great experience and I got to travel a lot of places with it and yes, met my husband, have a baby, but also make great friends and just have, have like invaluable life experience out of it. But it's nine years. It was never forever. And I'm so excited to come home. Um, yeah, we love like Ireland. We love Drogheda. Like it's, yeah, we're so excited to come home. And are you sorted? I think you mentioned earlier, uh, work-wise and, and where you're going to live. Is all that plain sailing? Yes. So, like, thankfully, I was on maternity leave and I was off, so I was, we were able to do a lot of admin. But, um, yeah, so we both got sources with work. Um, we both started in January. And, yeah, we got apartments and childcare sources. So, yeah, really grateful. But it took a while. Like, this has been six months in planning, so... Definitely didn't happen overnight. Certainly not. It's a, a, a big move back. And will you cut ties completely with Australia? Will you have any interest still there for no. the future? Will you go back? Yeah, I'll definitely go back. Like, I'm a citizen, so is my daughter. Um, so we've got our passports. And also, um, I'd love to take her back when she's 10 years old. And um, just for her to be able to experience it and then ask me the question, why did we ever leave the place? Um, but because um, it's such a great like outdoor lifestyle, but um, no, I'll definitely go back. It's got such a special place in our hearts. That's lovely, lovely to hear. Anyway, you will be home shortly, but just as the uh, exactly. season that's in it here on LMFM Radio and talking to somebody in Australia, would you like to send wishes before we uh, finish this lovely conversation? Of course. I want to send lots of Christmas wishes to my mom, Kathleen, and all of my family, which, as you all know, there's too many to mention. They know who they are. <laughs> the Bourne clan is big and extensive. You know who you are, as Kate says. Anyway, thank you for taking our call today. Appreciate you telling us what it's like on the ground there. We wish everybody in Australia where it's happening, and especially in Sydney, all of the very best, and hopefully this will pass sooner rather than later. See you when you get home, young woman. Thank you, Jerry. Happy Christmas. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. New Year low APR finance is now available across the range. 
There's been an outpouring of sadness and tributes to Jim Murphy, who passed away over the weekend. Jim was Mr Dundalk. He was going to Oriel Park since the 1940s. He was director of the club. He's written two brilliant books, A History of Dundalk Football Club, The First 100 Years, and Come On the Town, at Dundalk FC Miscellany. This man just ate, drank and slept Dundalk football and he was regarded uh, as the club's historian. Joining me on the line to remember Jim is Jerry McDermott. He's Media and Communications Manager with Fingal County Council and of course a big Dundalk fan. Good afternoon, Jerry. Good afternoon, Jerry. This is uh, a man who, he, though he never kicked a ball for the club, he's been mentioned in the same vein as Joey Donnelly, Jimmy Hasty, and Tommy McConville. Yes, I think so. I think uh, one thing about late Jim Murphy was that he wrote about Dundalk legends and in doing so he became a legend himself um, you know like the, what he did the work that he did in regards to the history of Dundalk was absolutely fantastic um, you know you mentioned the books that he did um, and also he he, along with his sons uh, Rory and Kieran, published a website um, which was basically a who's who of Dundalk Football Club and, and chronicled all the players who had played for Dundalk over the, uh, the last almost 100 years um, and I think I think the one thing that, that that made Jim stand out was the fact that that his book, uh, when it was published in two thousand and three, uh, received absolutely fantastic reviews um, on that. And like the accolades came from everywhere. I know at that time I was working as the soccer correspondent with the Irish Independent, and we in in our end of the year awards in two thousand and three had named it as the book of the year. And and I, I think it was me that described it as the most comprehensive history of a League of Ireland club. And you know, the accolades followed from there, like Sean Ryan in the Sunday Indo described it as a monumental piece of research. Programme Monthly described it as a superb addition to football's bibliography. Soccer Books described it as excellent and, and Soccer History described it as an essential work for anyone with an interest in the history of, of Irish football. And, and they were just some of the things that were made because I think anybody who got their hands on that book and read it, it was it was the attention to detail I think was the thing that made it stand out. Like it was over five hundred pages, there yeah. was almost two hundred pictures and uh, it just de- detailed everything in a season by season. And he left absolutely no stone unturned. And I suppose that's how I first came in contact with him really was because I was was working as um, as, as a soccer correspondent at the time. So he, he was on to me at different times in, in the in while he was writing the book for, for leads and, and chasing down little facts and things like that. And I remember one night getting a phone call from him and he was he was trying to get hold of a book the history of Derry City, which had been written by Frank Curran, who'd been the soccer correspondent of the Derry Journal, and he was getting nowhere. And the joy when I told him that uh, I had a copy of it at home, because I, when I worked with the Donegal Democrat, we actually printed the book, um, and I had it, and I was able to give it to him, and it just made his day, like the joy of just getting another piece of the jigsaw. And it just it just enabled him to, to, to close off so many different questions that he had had uh, in relation, particularly to players who had played with Derry City and then came on to play for Dundalk and that. And I think that was Jim, that was the attention to detail that he had to his work. He was such an approachable man. If you read all the comments that have been uh, coming over the weekend from all quarters, not alone Dundalk, uh, the country and beyond, he was regarded as a true, you know, they heard the, the, the uh, saying, gentleman Jim, he really was. 
He he absolutely was. Like I, I think the Dundalk FC statement, you know, they described him as warm and friendly and a, a constant source of support to everybody in Dundalk. And and again, that attention to detail. And I think, you know, even uh, like yourself, I was looking at the different comments uh, and that. You know, and what I particularly liked was the young reporters who are now on the beat and, and covering League of Ireland soccer and how much they leaned on him. That when they were looking for different stats and, and, and that type of thing that they were able to go to Jim and, and Jim would give it to them freely uh, and that and would, would take great joy in you know seeing another record confirmed and, and that I remember one young reporter ringing him just just you know to know was Stephen O'Donnell Dundalk's longest serving captain and that and Jim was able to confirm that and didn't want to be acknowledged or anything like that as, as being the source of that information and that and I think that said a lot about him too it, it wasn't for Jim and that it was very much for the club and it was his way of, of helping the club and promoting the club. There have been great eras at Dundalk from the club entered the, the league and such great memories of uh, league wins, cup wins, European adventures. And Jim experienced this halcyon, if I could say it is, Jerry, this unprecedented halcyon time for Dundalk at the moment. And he travelled and he enjoyed it. I'm sure his mind was on the next volume. I, I think so, and, and you know, it was funny. Um, Kevin Riley, who writes for the Dundalk Democrat, told um, a story this week um, of he he got together former players, journalists, lifelong followers, and Jim uh, together a couple of years ago to sort of figure out what the ten greatest moments in Dundalk history were. I think they did it in about April 2018, and and that, and uh, I think they had a, a very engaging discussions in the on a, on a Friday morning, and that, and when they, when they broke up. Jim pulled him aside and wanted to know when they were going to do the club's all-time 11. Um, unfortunately, that didn't happen, but it was obviously Jim's mind <laughs> was already thinking about who, who should go into that. And, you know, as you said, with somebody who goes, can trace their sort of attachment to the club back to the 1940s, um, he would have had a huge contribution to make to that particular discussion. He certainly would. But his memory is assured, Jerry, through the wonderful book that was Book of the Year and the one that followed up and all he's done and all that repository of work that's there and that his sons have been involved with. That, that That's absolutely correct. And, and again, the website that I mentioned as well. And, and also the museum um, piece that they did as well, you know, yeah. um, along with the curator in, in Dundalk and uh, the County Museum in Dundalk, Brian Walsh, like they put together a fantastic exhibition, One Team, One Dream, uh, back in 2017 and uh, you know that that that's, that just showed the sort of treasure trove of material that's out there and, and Jim would have would have collected an awful lot of it and I think I think one of the one of the things that he did do was that he focused people on the history of the Dundalk Football Club because it is a fantastic history like they are the most successful provincial uh, football club in in the country and um, you know to be able to 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 sort of document that and chronicle it and and to make sure that the you know like I suppose we're all here for just a short period of time and we're, we hand over the flame to, to others and that I think it was his, one of his sons Rory coined the phrase that um, Dundalk will never die but you will and I think that Jim has made sure that the next the preceding generations will, will remember the, the, the stars and the, and the achievements of yesteryear which is very very important Oh, so important. Lovely words, Jerry. Thank you so much uh, for taking time to uh, have uh, those brilliant words about the late Jim Murphy with us this afternoon. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. That's Jerry McDermott there, who is a media and communications manager with Fingal County Council. And uh, we extend, on behalf of everybody at LMFM Radio, our condolences to the Murphy family and all associated with the club. Today, we remember the great man, Jim. 
My next guest is a member of the Strong family, a singing dynasty. Neve Strong joins me today ahead of a very special concert this coming Friday in the Drihid Arts Centre where she sings the songs of Ava Cassidy. You're welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Ava Cassidy, when you just say the name, you know, I know about her, I'm sure many people listening do. How did she come to you or you to her? Um, well, I was actually just um, at a friend's house uh, years ago. I'm nearly 40 now, so I was probably about 18 or 19 at the time. And uh, she just came on in the background in the television singing uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And I think everybody in the room just stopped and was like mesmerised and everybody was kind of saying, who is that? So that's basically how it started. You heard about it. You do know her backstory. I'm sure you do at this stage that, God almighty, she died so young, didn't she? She's only she, 33. She did, yeah. She died of cancer. Yeah. And uh, she also was a very, very famous kind of artist as well. Um, she did uh, a lot of paintings in her day, so mm. she was very good at that too. And, and you know, being young and passing young, at that time it's fair to say she was a bit obscure, like she wasn't that well known outside her home, you know what I mean, yeah. in the States. Well, you see, um, she had uh, basically gained her um, respect, I suppose, in the music industry when she had passed away because Terry Wogan had, um, uh, you know, basically found her and showed her to the world yeah. basically so that's yeah. how that happened but um yeah um but she was very true to herself as a singer she didn't want to go down the whole kind of famous route she wanted to keep it like you know very nice and kind of mellow and kind mm. of organic basically you know so <laughs> um so that's what i really loved about her she was very passionate about her music yeah so in know? a way had she lived she probably wouldn't have gone for this you know the massive fame and the number of records she then sold subsequently after that and you're right about wogan on bbc2 his uh, morning show he made her yes he did indeed yeah yeah And when you think of it, I was just looking there, Amazon issued uh, a list a few years back of the highest selling artists, right? Mm -hmm. Beatles, you two, you name them, they're all... Who's number five? Eva Cassidy. Eva, yeah. Just shows you, doesn't it? Well, it's like what Sting says. Uh, he doesn't really have any credit for Fields of Gold anymore. It's more so Eva Cassidy's song now. Yes. Yeah. So um, she just was one of those types of singers where she made a song her own. Um, and that's what was so beautiful about her voice. Mm. And I mean, I think that's very special in a singer to have that yeah you know so well will, will we have a listen you have yeah the album is out yes it is um it's all the songs um that Eva Cassidy did well a few of them actually yeah. but um there's a few obscure songs on it as well a lot of people might know but um you've I've, covered them yeah I have a few of the ones she's um well known well for. known for yeah. and others from our repertoire as well the first one we're going to hear is is autumn leaves yeah autumn leaves here she is Neve Strong autumn leaves Falling leaves, hooray! 
Yes, Autumn Leaves uh, from Neve Strong. You have some voice. Oh, thanks very much. But you, you'd have to have a voice like that when you're the daughter of Rob Strong and you have a brother called... Andrew Strong. Andrew yeah, Strong. That's it. Um, yeah, I suppose... Um, I suppose, yeah, it's kind of strange the way, you know, family generations pick it up, you know. But, yeah, we definitely got it off my dad. And, um, yeah, he's been my biggest influence anyway uh, mm. so far so and and singing started from you were very small do you remember back then you know being encouraged to sing to perform 
Ah, yeah. Like, I mean, I remember our house used to be just full of musicians when I was younger and I used to go down and I used to be sitting with my dad's band when they were rehearsing and stuff and I'd probably get up and start singing as well with them. Um, But I remember even doing my first gig at 11 with my dad and um, like I was doing blues runs, you know, because I was listening to the likes of Bonnie Raitt and um, Aretha Franklin at the time. So... um, it was always a good collection of music in the house. Mm, <laughs> so absolutely. 11 years of age yeah. <laughs> and you're away then. You actually were very young when you decided to give it a go in the States as well. Yeah, what happened was is um, my brother was uh, supporting Ray Charles in Denmark and um, my mum had a few CDs of mine and uh, she uh, basically hustled her way up to Ray Charles' manager and gave him uh, a copy of my demo at the time. And... Uh, Lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, he had gotten in touch with us and uh, wanted to come over and hear the band play live. And then they shipped us out to New York and we stayed out there for a while. And then there was a a short kind of um, stint in L.A. as well. So, but I was just too much for me at the time, I think, you know. You're only 18, were you? Yeah, it was. You were very young. And like there was a lot of that kind of... um, stuff that was going on oh she she needs to lose weight and you know all that stuff you know I think it was time when it was the the time when Britney Spears was kind of out and all those kind of pop artists so I didn't really kind of see myself going down that route Mm. Were you homesick? Ah yeah I was I'm very close to my family so it was just a bit of a shock to me I suppose Um, but I'm totally uh, loved the fact of having had that opportunity to have gone over there and stuff. Mm, so, mm. yeah, so, um, yeah. And you came back then and just continued. Did you get going again here quickly? Ah, yeah, like, I mean, I've always been singing, you know. Mm. Um, I suppose, you know, I just wasn't ready for that kind of big jump. But um, they say in life everything happens for a reason. And uh, I just feel now I'm kind of comfortable in my own skin, kind of doing what I really am passionate about. And Eva Cassidy really inspired me to do this. So, You also gave the voice of Ireland a crack in 2013. I did, yeah. Now, <laughs> I think you were a bit unfortunate, weren't you? Because you came up in, in the battle, you know, the, the, when yes. you, against the ultimate winner, didn't you? Yeah, Keith Hanley was, the, was um, the guy who won it that year. And he's a lovely, lovely person. He really deserved to win it because he really, really wanted it. Um and uh, it was great fun, you know. I met some lovely people and I'm still friends today with them. And uh, it was all a learning curve as well. Mm. Jamelia you know? was your mentor. She was, yeah. Jamelia, yeah. What was she like? Was she, uh... I'm going to be honest, we didn't really get uh, much on one-to-one basics or basis with her. Like, yeah. um, it was more kind of David Hayes, the producer. Mm. Um, he was the guy who kind of did all the hard work there. Mm. Do you, in general terms, the voice is one. X Factor seems to be slowly dying on its feet, may yeah. I say. I think they're nearly time to kill it off at this stage. But they all have sort of a, a lifespan. What do you think in general about, you know, going to, um, you know, into those contests? You know, it's kind of... Uh, to me, I just think, you know, if you're a singer, you should just, you know, stay true to yourself and just try and go each step by a little bit, whatever it takes. You know, Rome is not, it's not built in a day, like, so it's going to take you a while. And it's one of the hardest, um, you know, pl- things to do in life is the music. So you're going to get knocks 
But I don't really believe in those shows, really, mm, to be honest. Mm. I think you just have to stay true to yourself. So it's on your CV, but move on. Yeah, I'm glad I tried it. Yeah. Um, but I find those um, shows, you're not really allowed to do what you're allowed, you want to do. Mm. It's kind of you're being told what to do. So. Well, remember, it's showbiz. It's, it's at the end of the day, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's entertainment for, yeah. you know, the, the viewers or whatever. But there has been some amazing singers oh, yeah. on them. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And I have an amazing singer with me today. Neve Strong is performing the songs of Ava Cassidy in the Drihid Arts Centre this Friday night, the 20th. Friday the 20th. Tickets are available from Drihid Arts Centre. You can drop in there and get them or buy them online from Drihid Arts Centre. We have to hear that song. Let's have a break first. More from Neve in a moment. Neve Strong is with me on Late Lunch and she's covered the songs of Ava Cassidy on a new album and she's in concert at the Druid Arts Centre this Friday the 20th of December. Tickets available from the Druid or online as well. Uh, while you're with me here and I'll tell them a moment ago Eddie Caffrey popped into us because he knew your dad Rob so well and he yeah. sends him his regards today and he was saying what a lovely man he was. He met, met him on a number, number of occasions. How is he? How is Rob? He's great. Um, my dad is out doing uh, some really, really great shows at the moment. He's doing a theatre kind of um, gigs. Uh, so he's doing great. Still rocking it out. He's 74. <laughs> and uh, I don't know where he gets the energy, but he's getting, he, I think as he's getting older, he's getting more energy. <laughs> Good man. We say hello to him this afternoon. And Andrew, of course, famous from The Commitments. You work with Andrew yourself, yeah? Yeah, I do. I do um, some back and singing with my brother, um, so we do a lot of shows over in Denmark and uh, yeah, we kind of do them everywhere. There's always different kind of shows that pop in every year. Mm. So, mm. And you, you, you do a little bit of work as well from time to time, I believe. I yeah. do indeed. <laughs> um, I work up in uh, Knockline Dental Practice. Lovely. And I work with um, some really lovely girls. I've been there the last couple of years and they're mm. gr- such a pleasure to work with. Mm. So that's the day job, but the love mm. is the music. The passion is the music, so... Um, you know, I think um, if I can go out and just do my few little gigs here and there, I'll be very happy with that. Mm. But know? would you like it to, I'm sure you do, you're like anybody that, you know what I mean? You mentioned it is one of the toughest business and you're always looking for that break. If that break happened and took you in another direction that you were doing this all of the time, would you jump at it? I would, yeah, but I'd still like it, I'd still like to do it at, at a very kind of organic pace. Um, I mean, I'd love to travel with this show. Um, and I'd love maybe for my son to come and travel with me and see a part of the world as well. Um, you know, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I would love the show to do really well. Yeah. Um, it's a slow burner, but mm. it's definitely doing really, really well. And he's, your, your lad is with you. What's his name again? It's Elliot. Elliot's with, yeah. with you here in studio today. And I can tell, folks, he's wearing a <laughs> Liverpool shirt. So he's a very happy boy at the minute. And he's going to be even happier in 2020 when Liverpool win the league. Yeah. So they're running away with it at this stage. And he told me before we came on, his favourite player is Van Dyke. I'm not surprised what a player he is. Well, you're again, just to say, best of luck to you. Thank well you done so much. with the album and uh, the songs of Ava Cassidy, Drihid Art Centre, this Friday evening. So, of course, we have to finish. What else would I want uh, to finish with? This is my special request from you. Thank it you. It is. Go on, introduce it, Neve. This is Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Thank you.
up high in the land that I heard of once, once in a
that you dare to dream They really do come true If happy The rainbow white. Yeah, the wonderful, wonderful voice there of Neve Strong somewhere over the rainbow on late lunch this Christmas Monday afternoon. Christmas cuties, they're flying in. Keep them coming to us. If you have someone who can sing or dance or do a tune, you name it, literally in your house, we want to hear from them this Christmas on LMFM Radio. WhatsApp 086-1800-658 or email latelunch at lmfm.ie. Your cutie. And guess what? The cutest cutie will win a €250 voucher for the wonderful Shoe City just outside Castle Blaney. Earlier on, we heard from Oshin McEnany, five years old from RD. Who have you first now, Louise? We have Amy and Shauna Siri Rice. They're aged three and two, and they're from Drogheda. Ah, let's hear the little Rices. Aren't they just amazing? <laughs> so cute. Amy and Shauna Siri Rice. And they're from Drogheda. What ages did you say they were again? Um, they're three and two. I'm not too sure which is which, but three and two years of age. Ah, oh, my, oh my. Hmm, imagine they? having that as a ringtone on your phone. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> Aren't they just lovely? Ah, there's something about children at Christmas time and, you know, listening to them sing and perform. It'd just do your heart good. It really would. Are you sorted? Have you all the arrangements done? You can no. sit back now for the next... No. Week or so and relax. No, I think it's only men that always say, "Yeah, I've everything done," <laughs> that's and then they run off on Christmas Eve and do everything. Yeah, yeah, that's that's mm. that's pretty true. That's because we do nothing. <laughs> 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 you know, you have to say in a house, the, 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 the women are, do all the, the the thinking about what to buy and what to get for the different strands of the family. That's because a that's lot of fair. us start Christmas and. July. Well, well <laughs> Louise, you started in January, but we had a chat with her and she, she saw sense yeah. after years. But look, I, I think it is true, though, because I know my own thing. You probably only have to think about one or two things you have to get, really. You know what I mean, yourself. But generally, the ladies take charge and they do the organising of all the gifts. I think that's the way it's worked. Yeah, and long, long may the inequality continue <laughs> there from a man's <laughs> point of view, may I say. <laughs> Ah, oh, Jerry, I'm They'll sure you're, you do your bit that. around the house as well. Oh, Get well, loads yeah, of presents. Uh, listen, I, I tell you, uh, look, I have me tuppence worth in and that as well. But I have to say, Miriam does the bulk of it. You know, she'd ask me, go ahead, whatever you're having yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for a pint. <laughs> Is that Miriam or you? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's certainly me for sure. Jerry, we've just got a nice message um, from Margaret and says, these Christmas cuties are brilliant. Our kids are now too old for the Christmas songs and I really miss it. Ah, yes. Oh. But that's life, isn't it? You yep. move through like older. different phrase, phases and then, like I see it myself, <laughs> like there's our Ava, you know, at four and a half now and she's just Makes lovely Christmas. for this time, you know, and, and that's what we've been blessed with as well and hopefully families, you know, that the different generations moved through and you can enjoy it, enjoy it again with your uh, uh, grandchildren. Marion Woods called in from Dunlear to say, Shrella, is that her name? Do you have your name, Stella? Is it Stella Larkin in St. Peter's Nursing Home in Castle Bellingham? Uh, displays her crib every year, which was handed down to her by her mother. And uh, that's, that Aww. crib goes way, way back there. Thank you indeed, Marion, uh, for the call on that one there. We're asking you about Christmas memories. What are your Christmas memories? What do you remember of Christmas uh, of yesteryear when you were growing up as a child? One toy, come on, one toy in your mind. One gift that you got from Santa at Christmas. What big is yellow it? teapot. It was a big, it was actually a big yellow teapot and there was loads of little people living inside and the spout was like a, a slide mm. and you opened the door and you could fit all little chairs and everything in. Fantastic. Mm, Ac- loved it. Action Man. I have to go back to Action <laughs> Man again. Hold your fire until I give the order. <laughs> Motor Patrol, fall in. Action Man. Does anyone remember Action Man? Oh, he was great. Did he actually speak like that? Yeah, you pulled you pulled the thing out of his chest. You know, you pulled the thing and Rope. it said, hold your fire until I give the order. But I told you that story yeah, before, no. didn't I? Do you want me to just mention it yeah, again? Sorry. Yeah, I had a talkie Action Man and I got a parachute for him. My granny bought it for me, Monica. And nothing to do. We had got up on the roof of the house. We were nearly killed, the whole lot of us. <laughs> We, we practised on the ground and it walked, the parachute opened, but I fired the action man <laughs> off the roof and he hit the ground. <laughs> Bang. <clears throat> the parachute never opened. <clears throat> now, he wasn't too much damaged, but when you pulled the string the next time, it went... <laughs> so instead of, hold your fire until I get the order, poor action man. Oh, <laughs> Broke the bloody voice box in the action, man. Did you ever get another one? <laughs> yeah, I never got another talking oh. one. That was the end of action, man, talking in my house. Anyway, we're moving on on late lunch because over the Christmas is a great time on LMFM for documentaries. Did you ever hear of a guy called Thomas Darcy McGee? He's from uh, Castle Bellingham. Uh, he's from Castle not from Castle Bellingham he's from North Loud I beg your pardon he's from Carlingford Thomas Darcy McGee well he was a colourful man in the 19th century and up next on the show we're going to hear all about him from the man who's produced the documentary about him his name is Jim Doherty and he's going to have a chat with us on late lunch in a couple of minutes after this break Thomas Darcy McGee was born in Carlingford and he was one of the most controversial yet colourful characters of the 19th century in this country. He's revered in Canada where he finished up, but he's little known or understood in Ireland today. Hopefully we can throw light on the situation. Well, I can't, but I'm sure Jim Doherty will with his documentary, which will be broadcast here on LMFM Radio on the 30th of December between 12 and 1. And he's on the line. Afternoon, Jim. Afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking my call. This fella left Ireland at a very young age for Boston. Yeah, he left. He was only 17 at the time. And they went off to Boston. And it became the first... It was the... Um, the what's called the Boston Globe. He became the editor. And, oh, sorry, the Boston Pilot. Uh, yeah, he became... At 19, he was the editor of the Boston Pilot. The youngest ever editor of a major title. Ooh. So he was always... Like, he was always able to write... 
Yeah. And obviously he was able to talk as well because he was a, you know, a very good, um, sorry, like orator or whatever. And we're talking here about, of course, about a time before, you know, before uh, general media, before radio, television and so on, where mm. politicians or people like that, they were, you know, like they would stand up in front of massive crowds and just the, the power of their own ability to make speeches, but, you know, carry arguments and, and persuade people to, to vote and so on. Well, at least we could see them, and they're not hiding behind Twitter or Facebook or anything like that anonymously. There's a lot to be said for it. Anyway, that's another debate. Um, <laughs> he, he, he was a 19 editor in Boston of that major newspaper. He only stayed there. Like He was born in 1825. He came back home in 45. So, you know, he, he didn't stay that long in Boston. What brought him back to Ireland? Well, what brought him back was Daniel Connell, because... Uh, at the time, which was kind of ironic, given his um, <laughs> how he developed in later life, but uh, Thomas Darcy McGee, he was part of the, you know, the temperance, Father Matthew's temperance movement at the time, because uh, at, at that time in Ireland, people were suffering, or society was suffering greatly from, uh, from alcohol abuse. Um, there maybe even echoes of that still today. Mm. But he was part of Father Matthew's temperance movement, and in Boston, he was writing a lot of um, articles about um, you know about the evils of drink, but also about um, Irish and you know, Ireland independence and so on. And this came to the attention of Daniel Connell and Daniel Connell's people in Dublin. So they invited him back to Ireland uh, to take over, uh, you know, to take on, take on a role with um, with the newspaper there, the Freeman's Journal. Mm. And uh, he, he, back. he came back and then, of course, he joined the Young Ireland Movement. Uh, he was a, a leading writer for its newspaper, The Nation, and he became, well, we'd term probably a revolutionary. He was a real Republican, this fella. Oh, he was, yeah, he, definitely. I mean, he was, he was a great thinker because he was able to, uh, you know, come up with ideas and, and policies and, and persuade other people to, you know, to buy into those ideas as well. And he saw at the time, he saw that, particularly the time of the famine, um, like you know, how the country has been devastated by the famine, and we believe that, well, a big cause of this is British rule, and we have to, you know, the only thing that's going to uh, going to work here is an independent Ireland, so decided that, you know, they'd, they'd organise the rising. But unfortunately, the Young Islanders, they were much better speechwriters and, and, and speech makers than revolutionaries or soldiers, because they were, <laughs> it was a pretty unsuccessful revolution. But he he escaped um, at, at the time because obviously he was a, he was a wanted man. Uh, but he escaped from Ireland uh, through up up to my area here to Donegal, and that was uh, <coughs> sorry uh, Bishop McGinn, who was the Bishop in Derry at the time. He was very um, he was very kind of a pro pro Ireland um, anti British type uh, cleric, which was kind of uncommon at the time. But he disguised. Uh, Thomas Darcy McGee is a priest, and he managed to slip away uh, disguised as a priest on a rowboat um, to to uh, to uh, what's called like a, a, a ship, but then sailing sailed to New York, so he managed and, to get away. And eventually, he uh, moved to Canada, where he became a cabinet minister in the Canadian government. But he seemed to renounce his Republican. Then he became an opponent of the Fenian movement, and at the end of the day, he paid for that. Well. <laughs> That's the thing. Ironically enough, when he went to the states, in um, or just after these, or sorry, the Easter Rising, not the Easter Rising, just after the Young Islanders Rising in eighteen forty-seven, when he went to the states um, after that, he was still very, uh, you know, a, a very strong Republican, and he more or less at that time, uh, or the couple of years in the states, he more or less wrote the doctrine of Unionism, which you know, which was lasted right up until mm. or even to, or even up until today. But when he was in the states, living in the states. 
he saw that the you know the Irish, particularly the Catholic Irish, they've they been treated very badly there, and he didn't like American the American system. But looked across the border over to Canada and saw that things were different there. That the Irish, the Catholic Irish, were being treated much much more favourably, and he realised that in Canada, you know, which had which would have had at the time a big English population, a big Orange population, uh, but also um, a larger, smaller but still large Irish Catholic population, that they were all able to sort of get on, you know, despite their differences, get on in life and you know without killing each other. Yes. So. He saw that this was maybe a model for Ireland as well, that if they could do it in Canada, why can't they do it in Ireland? But at the time, he was still, you know, he was still sort of wavering between being a Republican or a Fenian and being a kind of a, kind of a, a constitutional kind of monarchist. But eventually he went to the, he decided to renounce Fenianism, for which people like John Mitchell and so on never forgave him. And they, they had been big, um, big, you know, big buddies at one stage. And, you know, at a young age, at 43 years of age, uh, at 43 years of age, uh, he, um, uh, beca- he he lost his life. He was shot. He was assassinated. He was assassinated. But just, just going back to the other thing about uh, the temperance movement, that uh, I forgot to say that uh, that was one of the other, uh, you know, big sort of um, contradictions in his life, that he, he was a raging alcoholic. <laughs> he became a raging alcoholic. So at one stage, he was very very anti-drink, to suddenly go the other to go to the other extreme to being too fond of the drink, and at the same time, uh, at one stage where he was, uh, you know, an out-and-out Irish revolutionary, so he changed from that to being um, kind of a not so much pro-British, but certainly pro um, uh, a pro-Canadian British-style system, uh, which he thought would have worked in Ireland, and he was the one of the, he was the founding father of Canadian Federation of the, the Canada we know today. He was very much the, the kind of the, the developer of that or the, the foundation of that. And he was assassinated. And funny enough, he was the, you know, he was the first Canadian politician to be assassinated. Really? There you go. And as, yeah, and as well as that, the, there's a bit of confusion, or not, not so much confusion, but it's, there's certainly a bit of debate about um, the man who shot him. Because uh, it was never actually proven that he was Athenian, but he was certainly suspected of being Athenian. Yeah. But he was a well. He was an Irishman, mm. and he, funny enough as well, he was the last public execution in Canada, which wow. attracted a big, a big uh, yeah. yeah so well. a lot, a, a lot of first there. Anyway, look, I just yeah. wanted to touch base with you. He was a man of extremes, but certainly, as I said at the beginning, controversial but colourful. You can find out more yeah. about him. The documentary is airing on the thirtieth of December here on LMFM Radio between twelve midday and one o'clock, and one not to be missed. Well done, Jim, and thanks for joining me on the show. More than welcome. Have a Merry Christmas. You too. Many happy returns. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Jim Doherty there, the maker of the documentary. God, there's people in history you wouldn't know a thing about. I have to be honest, I'd never heard of him, but he's a fascinating character. Certainly will be finding out more on that day when the uh, documentary goes out the 30th of December. Anyway, that's a lot on Late Lunch for this Monday afternoon. Eddie's up next with The Drive. We'll see you tomorrow for another Christmassy Late Lunch from 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how shockingly affordable a new Dacia is in the new year. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.